0: This is Commerce Shenanigans, episode 634, Spotlight on Spider Man into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> Welcome to the Common Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 634. I'm your host Adam Chapman, and this is our spotlight on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse episode. I'm going to be joined in just a moment uh, by Eric Anthony uh, from the Cave of Solitude podcast, which is an excellent podcast. You should definitely check it out. Uh, he was able to actually come with me to the film. and uh, We watched it uh, on opening day, or, uh, on Friday the 14th. Which I have to say, when I saw it, I felt like everyone in the world had already seen it. Like I felt like a lot of the people that I actually follow in like Facebook and Twitter feeds had already seen the movie. So I felt like I was kind of like old hat that I was finally seeing it, even though it was still technically the day of release. But you know, with you know, there was a, a screening like two weeks in advance in Toronto that I could have gone to, but it just couldn't couldn't make it happen because I had other obligations. And there was you know uh, a lot of press screenings that people had seen, or it, it just and it was out Thursday night. So it just felt like it felt like everyone in the world had seen this movie but me when I finally saw it. <laughs> it was it was a weird feeling because I. I have a bit of FOMO, and I, I really, it sometimes bugs me when people get to see these things before me, because obviously I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, huge comic book fan, and so it's so stupid that I'm, somehow it bugs me when certain people see it before me, although I gotta say, the people who saw it before me, I was like, of course they would have seen it before like, you know, Dan Gavaz in the Amazing Spider-Talk podcast, I'm like, alright, that guy's got you know, a lot of spider cred. he could see it before me, I'm not gonna be upset about this, it's more like when you have like a lay person, when it's like, you know, your grandmother's seen a movie before you, and you're like, what the hell, I'm the comic book fan, how could this happen? Anyways, I'm gonna get into the conversation in just a moment uh, of uh, editor's note, I just want to note that um, there was some issues on the feed when Eric and I were speaking. For the most part, it was fine, but sometimes it picked up some static. I guess when he was moving around with his microphone. So uh, my apologies. We did try to minimize that, but there was a little bit on there. So I tried to kind of uh, cover it at times. So um, other than that, you know, just go into that knowing that that does happen from time to time. And apologies uh, that that had uh, kind of occurred. There's no real way to, for me to nip and tuck it depending on when it happened. Like don't have separate audio streams, so I just kind of had it in all one stream because. I'm a low tech here at the uh, Comma Shenanigans Fortress, um, um, unlike the Cave of Solitude, obviously much cooler place to be. Um, so it just that's uh, you know uh, forewarned is forearmed. Uh, you can always email the show at commerceshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and interview us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for uh, downloading this episode, and without further ado, let's get right into the episode as I talk about Spider-Man into the Spider Verse with Eric Anthony. Eric, welcome back to the Conversation Shenanigans podcast. How's it going, Adam? Thanks for
1: having me again.
0: Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Not only are we having you on the show, but we actually got to watch the movie in question, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, together. That's right. Side by side. Side by side. So, uh, let's not beat around the bush. What did you think of this movie? Uh,
1: you know, I'd be hard-pressed to dislike a Spider-Man movie, even though I have, you know, in the past, I've, I've criticized them. So, I, I went in knowing that I'm most likely going to enjoy it. And I heard nothing but good things about it, and I did enjoy it. I had a really great time. I laughed. It was a great adventure. Um, I wasn't sure if I was swayed in any way because of such positive reviews, but
0: for everything that it was, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. Okay, yeah, how, I how about, how I, about yourself? yeah, I very much enjoyed it. I, I, I had to, I've had i had to think about it the last few days. So we saw this Friday, and we're recording right. on a Monday. So I've had time to digest it and think about it. and Obviously, I've read a lot of glowing, positive things everywhere, and I very much enjoyed it. But when the movie was over, I was like, did I like it as much as other people seem to love it? And so I've I've been mulling that over in my head. And I think the more I think about it, the more I think I, I did enjoy it a lot. And I think my enjoyment yeah. probably increased over the last couple of days when it's been able to kind of settle. And I've been able to kind of think, OK, what did I really like about it? Um, it definitely took a lot of big swings. Uh, some stuff connected with me more than others. Um, but generally speaking, it was a very good movie and very enjoyable. And Miles Morales is a very compelling lead character.
1: Yeah, it was great to see him get uh, highlighted the way that he was and, and have, you know, you got like the movie titled The Spider-Verse. You got a real taste of all of the, the different characters that you find in Spider-Man's universe, but to really put a spotlight on Miles Morales, it was uh, it was great to see that. And to see how successful and well-received it is, it's just a testament to the character as well.
0: It's interesting too because it reminds me of part of what makes made Miles work so well when he first started was that he was this guy trying to live up to the ideals of this of of a dead Spider-Man, and that is something that has always been missing from the character ever since he's been in the Six One Six. Is that they they don't have that extra piece of his origin that kind of propelled him forward and here we have you know again him taking up a mantle in a way that was actually a lot more effective than it even was in the comics because it's a more personal connection um and him trying to live by this code and then also being mentored by the guy he you know kind of let let die but an older version like it's it's almost like it's so crazy it shouldn't work but once it works you're like well of course it worked it's just it, it how could it not it has so many interesting pieces of the puzzle but yeah on paper it sounds like it maybe shouldn't work.
1: Yeah, uh, when when you saw that this movie was announced, like I think it was a year ago, I, I could be wrong. When they showed like the first uh, preview trailers of this movie, were, did it get you excited, or were you thinking like, "Huh, where is this going now?" That we have you know Peter Parker in the MCU. Were you wondering what the the purpose of this was going to be, or were you just pumped because it was Spider
0: Man? That's a really good question. Um, I think. Prior to the trailer being announced, I was kind of like, why are they making an animated Spider-Man movie if they're doing Spider-Man in the MCU? Once it was shown as being Miles, I think then I was like, oh, that makes sense. It's different. It's something – it's its own thing. It's not just trying to be more of what we're seeing in the MCU. So I was always kind of cool with that because it didn't feel like just – you know why were we getting another? Like, a, you know, if it was just a regular Peter Parker animated movie, what's the purpose of that? In, or in in a feature film format, like, it just it would have felt kind of an odder thing, especially because you just had Spider Man making big in the MCU. So I think the fact that they said it's Miles Morales, I'm like, okay, that makes perfect sense. Now I'm now I'm more on board with this. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think that the movie needed to have almost like that? I hate to bring it up, but that Batman effect to show like, hey. Spider-Man is going to be in this Spider-Man movie and that's what kind of drew people to go and watch it? Or do you think it would have been just fine if it was a straight up Miles Morales story, uh, Peter Parker dies, this guy's taking over sort of situation?
0: Um, That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. Um, I think it probably still could have worked. I think there's an added kind of component. I mean everyone kind of knows – Peter Parker's story and the fact that they are able to kind of quickly and in a fun way gloss over it is kind of, you know, indicative of that. Um, it, it, I think it adds more of a connection by having him involved in why Peter dies is why you kind of need a mentor. Peter to then mentor him because it kind of yes. like not that it gets him off the hook, but he's the re- he blames himself for the reason why this guy died or he was there and he couldn't do anything to stop it. And now he has that guy and he can help save that guy's life. Like that's cathartic and that's you know from a storytelling perspective that's that's gold. If you take out. You know him, like you know, if you just have Peter Parker dying and then he becomes Spider Man, you have to have a pretty good reason for it to happen. And in some ways, the original comics didn't really have that. It kind of did, like he was inspired, but is that enough for someone to really put on a costume? And this made it a much more, you know, A to B. It makes total sense why this guy's going to put it on his shoulders and eventually become this because of that personal connection he has with the character. So, I mean, there's there's so many pieces. Once you take out one block, you have to take out a bunch.
1: Yeah. Did you... did uh, Were you a fan of the original Ultimate Spider-Man, like Miles Morales era of, of Brian Michael Bendis' run on the character? Uh,
0: yeah. I was a big fan. I, I, I very much enjoyed it. There was a lot of really good stuff about it. I would say mm-hmm. the art was probably more of a draw for me than the writing, maybe, in some ways. Um, Pacelli's art at the beginning and then later David Marquez was absolutely gorgeous to look at. Uh, there's a reason why they're kind of superstars. Um, cause, mm-hmm. And they're just they're just something else, and the fact that this, this, the, the look of this movie draws a lot on Pacelli's style, which really says a lot, but, um, so I think that first volume, when he was still in the Ultimate Universe, actually two volumes in the Ultimate Universe, was really strong character stuff. I do think that the second volume kind of meandered and lost its way, and then he was plunked into the 616, and I think the character has kind of lost his direction since then, um, it's almost like when he was in his own universe, you could take risks, you could do things in the universe that were different. But then, once you put him into the six, I, hope I lost you for a second. Okay, once you put him into the six one six, you kind of you lose the ability to kind of do whatever you want in the sandbox, because now it's a sandbox that a lot of other characters are in, whereas at the time we was using the Ultimate Universe, there was really a lot less in that sandbox at that point, or there was less interconnectivity, so you didn't have to worry about it as much, and you could kind of have the character have bigger adventures, and it didn't really have to, you know, connect anything.
1: Um, yeah, it almost it almost reads like an indie comic in a way where... You know, the, the stakes of what the character does or doesn't do, it, it's not going to affect an entire universe or all these events that are, are tying into it where they have to be on a team. Like, you could really do what you want with whoever you created at that time. I think that was
0: part of the charm of Ultimate Spider-Man as a whole. Oh, yeah. The entire Ultimate Universe was all about, you know, right. something familiar, but it's a brand new continuity. You're not beholden to all the things in the past. But you can also use the elements of the past to kind of, you know, build expectations in your fan base and then subvert them and go in other directions. Like, it's easy now to forget how insanely awesome the Ultimate Universe was for so long. Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
1: It was. It was one of my first dips into Marvel as a whole because I'm a I'm a big Spider-Man fan in general. But when I was coming back into comics, this was a good place to kind of have a starting point and know exactly where you were and catch up to it, as opposed to you know 50 years of continuity. And it was so fresh and in a lot of ways taking place. In in real time, like the world you lived in was affecting this Spider-Man's universe and then subsequently, you know, Miles Morales. So it was very uh, refreshing in that regard. But I got a confession. I never read The Ultimate Spider-Man after Peter died. I I started reading Marvel or or, sorry, Miles Morales in the 616. And like you said, it started to I I enjoyed it. But it it, after a while started to meander a little bit where it's like, OK, do I really need to read this book anymore but uh, I, I went on after the movie was finished. I went and picked up all of the the Miles Morales on Comixology, because they're having like a sale for you know you could get everything for almost nothing. And I loved the first volume; it was great.
0: So, oh yeah, yeah. Now it's interesting too because like I mean you, we, I think we kind of talked about this when we were at the movie theater. But like there are certain things in this movie that you did, maybe didn't know as much that was coming. Like with the idea of the Prowler. Like the minute I saw his his uncle, I'm like, well that's where that's going. Um, did you have that same kind of feeling, or did you know about the Prowler? I knew in in the um, Ultimate Universe that his uncle would, was the Prowler. I just didn't think that the scenes that he was going to be in were going to be as intense as they okay. ended up being. Like, there were moments where, you know, you there yeah. were legitimate, like, startling jumps where he's like, oh, this this guy can't, like your son especially was there, I was thinking with him in mind. I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is frightening him. Because I got a jump, mm-hmm. so
1: it was it was a little bit more um,
0: intimidating in moments than I expected it to be. For sure, no, yeah, yeah. It, it was interesting, yeah, to see what they would lift and what they would bring. I mean, that was kind of the fun <clears throat> part here. And um, like when the movie started, I I think I'd read somewhere, but then I had completely forgotten that when we first see Spider Man, like it's not. Jake Johnson. It's uh, oh, now I'm forgetting Chris Pine, and he right. was. It, I really liked his version of Peter. Like it was. Me too. Is super confident and obviously like way ahead of the other one that we saw. Uh, and for, <laughs> I mean, he's younger, but much more put together and kind of had had his shit together. And it was kind of interesting yeah. to see that this was kind of a you know the best version of Peter in some ways.
1: Yeah, he 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 really had his his stuff together because as the movie goes on, you, in, in the universe that Miles lives in. That Peter Parker almost had like a, a, a Batman esque fortress where he was prepared for just about anything that would need
0: to come his way. That was a new twist for me. Spoilers mm-hmm. that uh, that I I enjoyed. I'm like that's that's pretty damn cool. I like that. It's interesting too that like that's something that. on on paper maybe shouldn't work because like we're used to Peter Parker kind of being a certain way. And then suddenly we have like, you know, the spider cave and all this (laughs) stuff, but we all kind of roll with it because I guess at that point, you know, they and once you buy into multiple, you know, multiple dimensions, and you know you're going to see Spider Ham, like you're kind of like cool with. All right, there's a bat cave in this universe, like or a spider cave, like you know. Yeah, why not? Like, it's interesting that again, the movie takes some giant leaps, which on paper maybe shouldn't work at all, or should make you go, "What?" And you're just kind of like, "Yeah, this is cool. Let's do this."
1: So I have a question in regards to the actual movie itself. What did you think of? the animation style. Like, I enjoyed the way the characters looked because, like you said, it's very much uh, a, a tip of the hat to you know, Sarah Pacelli and the people who worked on the comic. It, it kind of evokes that thing. But what did you think of it when, as the movie was playing? I, I I'll, be honest at first i didn't know what to make of it i wasn't sure if i was watching 3d or not
0: how did you feel about it um well it's obviously something that we've never really seen before quite like this i was reading a lot of extensive articles on how they did the animation and just i mean i don't even understand half the terminology they're using but like very <laughs> very complicated stuff but um and like the the you know pioneering new techniques and doing different things and the amount of animators they needed here like they really pushed the envelope and it I I think part of when I was trying to think, like, what about this was maybe, like, there's various things, obviously, that were too intense for my son and and a little too advanced. And I think part of it, just in terms of the visuals, is that I almost felt like the visuals were pulsating. Like, they had, like, you know, that they're not that, like, you know, almost like it was like I was watching a a beating heart. Like, it was constantly, whereas most animation, you don't necessarily get that feeling like there's a rhythm to every movement um, and everything's kind of moving. And I felt like it never really stopped. Um, it happened, you know, early on. You kind of get the sense, oh, we're, you know, this is moving around. This is, this is what's happening, and it never, it just kept going, and it was really thrilling and interesting to see, and it definitely gave the movie an energy and, an, and a forward momentum, even in quieter scenes that you wouldn't have normally. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Pulsating, I couldn't think of the, of the terminology other than, you know, intent, a certain intensity to it, but mm.
1: that didn't do it justice because. As you're watching it, there's a like there's an energy just going through you, and what's on the screen. Sometimes you would have things that were all, when you watch like a, a Pixar movie, for instance, because that's kind of the gold standard now. Everything is clearly in focus. The room is like you're in it. Whereas this one, you zeroed in on what you're supposed to be looking at, and then the things peripherally
0: were almost purposely fuzzy. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't sure if I needed to. Do I need to have glasses? Because is that is that stuff supposed to? Is there an effect or is this – or are they telling me, look here, and this is just you know, how we kind of view the world in general because you, you kind of focus and zero in on something and then stuff – other stuff is not as clear. Mm-hmm. I wasn't – it was confusing
1: at first, but then I started to get used to it. But True. pulsating, that's a good way to put it.
0: And like I, I did love how you know the Spider Sense was used visually. Like it was mm-hmm. probably the most effective use visually of Spider Sense that we've ever seen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because it, it, it really – it made your hair go up and then like you knew something was crazy was about to happen and that's yeah. kind of how you should feel like – and I think that's where live action really stumbles is because how do you, how do you create an effect? Like the Spider-Man movies in the, um, in the early 2000s, they kind of had that sound effect. As like, a, right. uh, but that was the the only way that they could kind of shorthand that something was going on, and they'd have like his eyes bulge. So it was like a combination of the eyes bulging and this weird sound. Whereas in animated, you can just have the crazy lines, and it's easy. Yes, like that's that, true. That shorthand is so much easier. Like it's the character does play better in a in a you know a cartoon kind of medium uh, because there's certain visual texts that are just easier.
1: Yeah, I was thinking that myself. I'm like, there was a couple times where. You would see even when when Peter finally put on the mask, or when you know costumed characters would show up, and and I would feel like this is a comic book movie, like that's Spider Man, even though it was animated. I felt an instant connection to him that in some of the other movies I don't
0: feel as much. I'm not sure why. Did you hmm. do you know do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like just I think so. the way. The way that he
1: can approach you, coming towards the screen, coming at you—it's
0: like, yeah, that's Spider-Man. Yeah,
1: where, like you said, those little things you can't just do in live action in the same way. I, I guess because it's uh, a cartooned medium, comic books is, anyways. Like the storytelling is is drawn, so to have the the movie presented in a similar fashion I guess it just
0: connects for a comic book fan in that way for sure but. well and even even just the, like the exaggerated spider movement like again we're used to visually of seeing characters doing like crazy Mark Bagley Eric Larson Tom McFarlane poses and right. those just they do really stretch the boundaries of what someone f- could physically do in live action um, I always thought whenever we watch, whenever I watch um, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man uh, movies, I always feel like he just looks awkward on the suit. Like he just, when he does poses that are Spider-Man poses, it doesn't really look like someone. Actually, I remember Andrew Garfield always felt very unique. That he when he was in the costume, it felt like there was a real person in there. Like when he would move around and he had the mask off and he knew it was him. Like he he actually kind of moved like Spider Man did because uh, he had yeah, kind of had the did. frame for it. But whereas Tobey Maguire didn't. So whenever you watch those movies and he like you know he's standing there and he takes off the mask, he looks kind of like he's been stuffed into the suit. He doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't look like he's athletic. He just kind of lo- and I'm sure he was. I'm sure he worked out for the role. Um, but he just kind of looked awkward in it. So whereas in in an animated movie, you can do these crazy exaggerated things and you're not worried about the mechanics or you know whether or not it looks fake or not because everything's animated yeah and and spider-man is is a specific character too
1: where if you if you don't have the right person in that suit it can come off like you said with that it looks awkward like he he looks like he doesn't especially because
0: of that movement you're right i always felt that toby mcguire was was the before picture for me (laughs) It's like yeah. this before you're Spider-Man, you're Tobey Maguire. After you should be someone else. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think I actually think Tom Holland is
1: does a really good balance of, you know, the the what you got from Toby and then also what you got from Andrew Garfield because it, in that suit, you're right, Andrew Garfield did embody the character more, and I think we got that fine balance with with Holland, especially him being younger and his stature. But not, you'll, you won't get anything like you will from from a movie like this one.
0: No. So let's talk about some of the uh, the characters. So, Miles, what did you think of the, the voice acting on Miles?
1: I thought it was great.
0: I thought it was spot on. It's the,
1: the voice that I kind of hear now when I read him in the comics. I think when, when you feel that they captured that voice right, you know, and you read it, and when you read it, you can hear that in, the, in your head, they got it spot on. How about you?
0: I, I absolutely agree. Um, I mean, he really managed to convey a youthful you know just a kid trying to figure things out and it has a bit of edge to him but like really just right. just trying to figure things out and it felt very natural and i think that's the biggest thing that it didn't feel like it was trying too hard as a performance it just felt like he nailed it um considering you know well, i guess he is 23 years old I've seen pictures and he's looked older but you know he 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 was able to to do the uh he really nailed it. He really nailed that that feeling of the character, um, because the character goes through a lot of growth and has a lot of different emotions he has to deal with. You know, there's there's a death in his family. There's you know feelings of betrayal when someone you you idolize ends up becoming something so terrible. Um, you know, feelings of of guilt over being, you know, being, potentially being the reason why two people died. Um right. It's it's kind of like you know the emotional journey the character goes on is very deep, and there's a lot going on there. And again, everyone has their own personal Uncle Ben's, and obviously he had his own. Um, yeah, it's very interesting, and uh, yeah, he really nailed it. And I haven't read Miles Morales comics since I've seen the movie, but I would imagine I would hear his voice.
1: Yeah, I uh, maybe for me I'm biased because I I read miles morales books as soon as i came home so that voice was still in my head but i thought that it was like you said because of that ride that he goes on of being uh, someone trying to find his identity and then going through such traumatic events so quickly in his life whether it's relationships with his father relationship with his uncle and even uh finding himself in amongst the other spider-man and friends seeing the type of person that he's, he's in that crossroads of being a full-blown teenager and still just young enough to be innocent, and they really got that voice right.
0: For sure. Um, what did you, and so, I mean, it's an interesting movie when everyone's used to Spider-Man being Peter Parker, obviously, and he's basically the co-lead of the movie um, in two different incarnations. So let's talk, uh, you know, what did you think about Jake Johnson's portrayal? You know, I'll
1: admit, when, when I saw that he was the voice of Peter Parker, I was like... Because me and my wife, uh, we watched all of New Girl. I don't ever know if you ever watched New Girl. So I know Jake Johnson really well in that role that he played on New Girl. So I'm like, how's he going to be Peter Parker? But I thought he did really good after I watched the movie. I thought when I heard Chris Pine's Spider-Man, I liked it. I liked the confidence of this seasoned Spider-Man. But I'm like, he's, he's too... He's too perfect. Where's hmm. that, that un, uncertainty of a Spider-Man? Where's that sort of silliness of him? And I think Jake Johnson's voice was just right, especially when they they retold in, in a part of the movie um, that version, Jake Johnson's version of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and he was kind of telling his story, and you see him curled up on his bed. I was like, that's, that's Spider-Man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> After a bad day and, and things didn't go right with
1: his with his wife or whatever the case may be, this is his coping mechanism. I'm like, yeah, that, that's the perfect
0: voice for him, for sure. That, was, that was actually hard for me to see that like, him and MJ had split. I mean, obviously the movie's building towards him getting back together with her or trying to make, make amends, but that was actually the part that I was like, oh, don't do that. I know, right? Like, like, like I actually felt like a, like a bit of a tinge there. Like, oh, that that, that hurts a little. But, yeah, no, it, one thing I really liked, I should as an aside, is I love the recurring motif of having the Spider-Man explain their origin. Um, yes. That was, I mean, again, it's one of those things where on paper it maybe shouldn't work, but it just, it, it has its own vibe to it and has everyone quickly understand the stakes. Like, the movie starts, you're given this origin, and then you get a similar origin, and then you get Gwen's origin, and then by the, like, you know, you get all these... These, again, it's a very stylish kind of way of doing it. It has kind of similar music each time and has kind of a snappy pattern to it. And again, it's it's the type of thing that maybe shouldn't work, that you're kind of info-dumping you know, uh, you know, about this character and quickly getting someone up to speed. But yet, it works so well because they just dive into it with panache and say, this is what you got. This is what we were dealing with. You can either be on the ride or get off.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's... What I love about it, too, was at this point... We've had, you know, live action movies that have explained this origin in great detail. And now they're like, okay,
0: here, here are the things, that, 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 that. And even this happened, but we're going to pretend that didn't happen. Where <laughs> all
1: the things that the, 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 the fans in the seats can all laugh at and be like, oh yeah, at least they're acknowledging how ridiculous that was. Mm-hmm. But we know it. Like, they're not pretending like we don't know that. I love that part of it. And I think, I wish you could get away with that in a live action, but you could, this is the perfect type of style of movie where you you can address all those things and
0: it works really well. Absolutely. And, like, Jay Johnson's character does go through a lot of interesting growth on his own and it's like, you know, I I, I kind of winced when he said, like, he didn't want kids. Like, that felt weird. Um, Mm -hmm. Because that almost didn't feel like a Peter Parker thing to say. Um, now if he'd said like anything about responsibility and kids like that might have been I might have felt differently but it just felt like a weird like this is like if you go back to the original comics like he was always kind of a, a one-woman man guy wanting to settle down he was always thinking marriage like he was this which is interesting when you have writers try to like make him single and it's like really if the character could talk to you he'd be like make me married and like that's just always the way that characters already kind of been portrayed so it's just interesting to hear him say something that like that I was just like oh that 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 didn't feel right but um, Obviously they need the character going on a journey of his own and they needed a reason why him and MJ would split that would be relatively simple for him to kind of figure something out. So by mentoring someone and, and kind of being a father figure in a way that it allows him to kind of come up – come to some personal growth in a way that feels organic so that when you have him go back to MJ, you can kind of feel like he has moved on, into a new place. He's not the same guy. He can move things forward, uh, th- that there's um, there's earned progression. Yeah. That's a good point,
1: actually, that now that you bring it up to to put that in there as, you know, the reason why there was a rift between them and then him the growth of where possibly something where I think it's in the movie he actually says
0: hey wait a second do I actually want kids yeah exactly <laughs> and because I think only Jake Johnson could have done it that way like yeah and like I, I'm with you I, I watched all of Blue Girl and I'm used to him and he's very funny when he gets angry like that's usually yes. when he gets funniest <laughs> is when he gets aggravated because he's just got this great voice for anger so seeing him as Spider-Man is, it's, it's a really interesting fit but um, and I wasn't sure how I felt about it um, I wanted it to be really cool and I he definitely made me believe it because he did you know nick miller kind of feels like this version of spider man like like this yeah. character who doesn't have his shit together at all but sometimes thinks he does but really is just kind of a mess and and like living yeah. in a you know in a messy apartment like that kind of feels like he's played that character for years of course he could do that yeah totally and even just the the the, the
1: simple things of doing things and not knowing how you're going to get through it but You know, we'll just this burger's great. Do you you got money? I don't got no money in this universe.
0: Like (laughs) I'm not, I'm not really liquid right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was great. Well, it's, it's it's an interesting movie too because if you look at it, you combine zany physical comedy, like the entire sequence with Peter's knocked out and they're you know they're on the the subway car and Miles is trying to get unstuck, but also save you know save Peter from getting like you know dragged everywhere. Like there's slapstick comedy. You have obviously any slapstick comedy that's involved with Spider Ham um, and the absurdity of Spider Ham, but then and then you have you know, actual real kind of commentary slash comedy where like when Miles Morales is about to, you know, jump across the building for the first time. And then he's like, what am I doing? And it like walks downstairs, looks at it and then goes up a slightly, you know, not as big building. Like that was a very funny moment because any other movie he goes and takes that jump. But here he's like, what am I doing? Um, and then you also have real emotional pathos because again, you have Miles going through this whole journey. He loses someone he idolizes. Um, and that person right before they die, he realizes that they weren't what he thought they were. Like that's so, there's true emotion here. And actually a moment that almost made me tear up a little, um, is the moment when, um, all the spider people, uh, go to, uh, Aunt May's house and, uh, or maybe at that point it's just the three of them and they haven't met everyone else yet, but they go to Aunt May's house and she looks at Peter and says, Peter, you look so tired. And that really yeah. got me. Like, the, you know, cuz this is a guy who obviously like he's already lost his Aunt May. Uh he doesn't have his marriage right now. Like he emotionally has been through the ringer. He doesn't know what he's doing it for anymore. And he sees his, you know, his his standing, you know, the the person who's given him the most in life and was able to give him a good life and the person he miss, probably in something like next MJ misses the most is there and it's just like you look so tired and it's that emotion that really got me.
1: Yeah, it's it's I'm one of those people who, uh, whenever we talk about stuff, I, I often say, like, God, just kill Aunt May already. Just kill her. But then when you, when it all comes down to it, she's that anchor where when she comes into the picture, it really changes Peter Peter's motivations, his emotions. It helps him get his mind straight. It helps him refocus and, and remember what's important. So that part where they go to the house and they see her, and even though that's not her, Peter – There's that immediate affection for him that she has for him and that he has towards her where she can talk that sense into him. No matter what universe he's in, and I that it's true. That was a great moment where you realize like he needs this. This is the thing he's missing in his life.
0: Did well, you I, I yep. for just to interject for a second, but I just love that this version of, of May wasn't your typical May. Like she yeah. knew she knew everything, she understood, she was part of it. Like that's something we don't get to see enough of, and we obviously we we had that at one point and we've lost it. Um but yeah. you know, that's it would it was just a different dimension and it added I mean it added a subtra- subtraction. Right. Because you, you lost out in some of the typical Peter Parker tropes of, well, we can't tell everyone. And some people think he's a jerk. And because he can't tell them about Spider-Man stuff. But... You know we lost that part when we had may knowing, but we also gained all new avenues of storytelling um I remember yeah. when j m s first had you know did the reveal, and she's like you know telling all the different newspapers that she's gonna cancel her subscriptions because they're unfair coverage of spider man and she's becoming like <laughs> and it was and, and, and that's a very natural reaction to have when you find out that this person who's been slammed everywhere is actually a relative. you wanna protect them you wanna you know speak out for them if they're not gonna speak out for themselves so um there's so many cool things about having may become part of that. You know, that inner circle of trust. And so using her here, like, I hadn't even thought of the fact that that's how they were going to make this happen, uh, that that's how we were going to introduce the other people, that there was going to be a spider cave. Like, that stuff was totally took me by surprise, but it also felt so natural and so cool. Like, yeah, why, like, this is a unifying factor. This is who everyone would go to. Um, And, you know, and like, how else would you do that? And that was so cool. One thing I liked as well. And when I was watching it, I was like, how are they going to make this work? Because the idea that Spider-Gwen was knocked out into last week, which I thought was cool, that, you know, the dimensional rift wasn't necessarily depositing everyone at the same point in time, um, so that she was already there and met up with Miles, that was cool. Because I didn't, I was like, how does this work? Is that—is that the Gwen? Is that Gwen? Like, what's going on here? Like, that was really cool.
1: Yeah, no, they made that work well. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, that was the thing, like, you, you brought up about um, Aunt May, where we had that time where she was in the know, but even in, in the ultimate universe, she was in the know, um, not right away, but for a good amount of time, she was aware of, of Peter being Spider-Man and all of his, you know, quote unquote, amazing friends that ended up living at the house with them. So it made sense to, if this is the ultimate universe, because that's where Miles Morales is from, it would make sense that she would, she would know what to do or, or be the person that would house everybody in the meantime. Um, but when you watch this, did you, did you try to, in your mind, make sense of which versions of the Peter Parker from the comics, or from the movies, or like what, what, what part of the timeline they're taking these from? Like, for me, I was thinking, this is Peter, you know, right after the Clone Saga. There's no Aunt May. Him and MJ are married. <laughs> She would want kids, but he may not want kids. Like I was thinking of that version of Peter being the one that came into this. Into this universe.
0: Uh, I honestly didn't. I honestly like. I, obviously, we knew from the trailers that they were kind of cribbing from the Tobey Maguire kind of because that's everyone kind of knows the Tobey Maguire Spider Man. Uh, those movies are pretty okay. well, well regarded, so I kind of just felt that that was a future version of of something like that. Um, okay. And I and I kind of left it like that because I mean, even when they show you kind of the last thing you know, when he's saying like the the origin parts, there's a lot of, you know, kind of cribbing from stuff that's very familiar to people who watch the Sam Raimi films. So I just kind of, yeah. I just yeah. t- kind of took it that he was an extension of kind of one of those types of realities and, and nothing really like ours necessarily. Yeah, no, you're right.
1: Cause I'm not sure if it was the, the, um, Chris Pine Spider-Man that he showed, was it that one where they showed the him doing the, the emo dance moment where he was like, forget this. Yeah. Was Jake Johnson.
0: I actually, uh, now I can't remember cause it all kind of blends together. But, yeah. um, I, I know that I think it was, it was the Jake Johnson one that had the proper upside down kiss. Whereas the other one had MJ upside down. Oh, okay. <laughs> because the whole idea was that you know miles miles's uh, reality is somewhat slightly different or a little bit off kilter and not quite yeah. the same so that's one of the kind of differentiating factors what was interesting as well is a, a scene from the trailer did not make it in that i thought would but i mean i guess it didn't need to was the french fry scene where he's explaining the alternate realities and he's like this is a weird fry that's yours okay there was a, there was a comment uh, like that in the in the trailer where he's like you know where he's kind of explaining some of the the alternate realities and saying like this weird looking french fry this is your reality and this perfect looking french fry that's mine like
1: hmm okay yeah no I I, I'm trying to remember that in the trailer but it definitely wasn't in in
0: no, it wasn't. So we get a lot of different Spider people. Um, Spider-Gwen is obviously kind of the big one that, I mean, from the minute everyone saw that first Spider-Gwen cover, what, like four years ago? Like, it hasn't been that long. And it just took the world by storm. Everyone loved that, was cosplaying that costume. Her first comic was pretty good, like that first one shot, and it was actually very good. And it then became like an ongoing, and there was two separate ongoings. So Spider-Gwen, you know, is obviously a thing. Now, she's been used in the, uh, I believe it's called the Secret Warriors cartoon uh, and it was part of Marvel Rising. They've rechristened her Ghost Spider to, I guess, differentiate the character. Um, but this is kind of her bigger coming out party. Like, she's already been big, but now she's in a major release, and she's kind of, you know, stealing a lot of the spotlight for some people that who are absolutely falling in love with her. What did you think of Haley Steinfeld's portrayal?
1: I love. I love Spider-Gwen in this movie. I'll admit when that first Edge of Spider-Verse issue came out, I didn't think anything of it. I, I thought it was just going to be a throwaway book. Didn't expect it to be the, the super popular success and, and I can't even think of the word to properly describe how big she's become Spider- Spider-Gwen, especially when you go to the conventions and every other girl is cosplaying as her. I thought it was a great uh, um, introduction to the movie universe to see this character.
0: For sure. How about you? Oh, I was very excited. The only thing I thought was interesting that they didn't really I thought they might have Jake Johnson do a double take that her name was Gwen Stacy, but he didn't. Right. And Yeah. And which I guess is fine, but it just it felt like that would have been a good moment to do it, like some sort of name check. Um, It's interesting because like obviously that means more to comic book fans because Gwen Stacy is so huge. But um, in in terms of the movies, like she's only ever been in two movies. Um, She did die, but those movies weren't that well received, and not as many people saw them. And it felt like there was a series of diminishing returns in Spider Man movies up until that point, where you know it didn't matter what they did or that they were refreshing the franchise; they were just making less money, um, which meant less people were seeing them so I guess you know Gwen Stacy's just not all things to all people and definitely not to you know people who don't know the comics and I think along with that point now that you brought up the fact
1: that this was an extension of the Sony Spider-Man universe or the Tobey Maguire esque Spider-Man universe Gwen Stacy was inconsequential in those stories right it was always about MJ was the Gwen Stacy
0: of that universe yeah I mean mean, Gwen showed up but she wasn't anything familiar she was she it wasn't was more good.
1: like a tip of the hat to her, but it wasn't. It didn't make that that impact on the way that Emma Stone was meant to. No, not at all. Which didn't end up happening as well as we would have liked as Spider fans. But yeah, you're right. It w- it would have been interesting to see that, but it kind of makes sense why it wasn't as big of a thing if if this is in fact an extension of the Sam Raimi
0: universe. So, what did you think of the animation on the Kingpin? That part threw me off a little bit. Now, do you know where it comes from? That looks like a. It reminded me of a Bill Stankavage type Ab- of kingpin. No, that's exactly what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. It, because all of the
0: it's absurd though. <laughs>
1: it, that's the thing. Like it, it was the. It made sense that like I knew right away that that was kingpin, but I'm like. His look and this, his, this part of the, the movie with any time he's in it now, it almost took me out of it a little bit because it's, it's comical to the point of almost like a Looney Tunes comical character where, where – You know, you it's, know, it's interesting. playing
0: it for laughs? I didn't feel that way at all actually and I think the reason why I didn't is because they didn't make – he's obviously ex, you know very much exaggerated in his size. But they didn't curve him. You know, no, he like, was a block. Which is actually what made it not funny for me, in a good way. Because I think if they had made him this giant, rotund thing, I think it would have been, f- like, sillier to me, and more of a Looney Tunes, like you kind of uh, described. Whereas having him be a big block, actually, to me, made him more intimidating and, and actually made it work.
1: Yeah, I think I, th- I think
0: you have a good point there.
1: For me, it was the the parts where he would be on the screen... And you would just see his head, and then half of the screen would just be black because his body was there. <laughs> Those are the parts where I'm like, okay, it's just—he's too big. It's just too big of a block. But you make a good point that because he's not rotund and, and you know lumpy or curvy, it, it made it work. I, I guess when it comes to the animated version of Kingpin, I'm used to the the Spider-Man animated series mm-hmm. where he's kind of like. Um, you know he has that affluent sort of appearance, and he he's got the the mock neck or the the scarf around him. So I, I guess I'm used to that sort of approach, and and I find him intimidating that way. But this worked, and especially because it was a direct nod to Senkevich when when you saw like the
0: painted memories of Vanessa and Richard, mm-hmm. it, it worked well for sure. Now, what did you think of um, the use of uh, Spider Ma- Spider Noir or Spider Man Noir? you know i was thinking
1: about that i'm thinking to myself why spider-man war and i want nicholas cage to be in the spider but then i'm thinking who else would they have put to have made it work in this particular story like it made it they made it work the humor aspect of it the fact that he's from the 30s the fact that he's only in black and white like (laughs) i i I was thinking about I'm like you know what i kind of like it I, i like the fact that they add that it, that part is it's so intense and serious but that's what makes it funny
0: mm-hmm. I'm like who, who what else would they have put Spider Punk you know actually that, Spider- I'm su- almost surprised that they didn't but I guess you know I'm surprised he, too he's almost too off model because they're trying to keep characters that for the most part are like Peter like Penny Parker at least says, sounds like Peter Parker um, at least Spider-Man Noir is Peter Parker like we're already doing Miles Morales so let's not go too crazy with people that aren't named Peter <laughs> right but I, I
1: think too is that each of those like Spider Gwen, Peter Parker, um, Spider Man Noir, and Miles, you you're able to easily differentiate all of them, hmm. even Spider Ham clearly. But if if you had another like when I'm thinking of the Spider Verse comic book, and you see um, you know thousands of Spider Men on the page, for the most part, they're all dressed the same. Yeah. They're just slightly. There's something slightly different about the costume, but it's all red, white, and blue, or red, black, and blue in some regard. Whereas this one was black and white, so it, it stood out on the screen. There was a contrast to everybody. So that I guess that's part of why I, I'm
0: thinking back. and I'm like, yeah, that works. That that's who they. they it's uh, a good choice. It's an interesting year for Nicolas Cage because he gets to play Spider-Man and Superman in the same year. Where's he playing Superman? In Teen Titans, go to the movies.
1: Okay, there you go. I haven't seen that yet. Your wife gave me crap for not seeing it yet.
0: So I, I mean, it's a really good superhero movie, i got to say. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. I'm not even a fan of the TV show, but she is. But I don't really like the TV show, but the movie really got me. Okay. And, it, and the, and, and, and it the movie's the movies kind of a musical, to be honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, from from the way you described it, it sounds like something worth watching. I even saw people at like, my local comic shop that were speaking highly of it. So, I got to give it a
0: chance. Um, So, we also had uh, Kimiko Glenn as as Penny Parker. And then we also had, uh, obviously, uh, John Mullaney as Peter Porker. I love their inclusion, they're they're so different. Um, I hope we get to see more of Peter Porker somewhere, like even if it's just in shorts or something. Like, he's just such a a character who's always been around, and people always like to see him because he's just kind of weird and funky. But it'd be interesting to see them actually do something more with him. Yeah. And Mullaney just nailed it. Oh yeah, totally. I, I I mean, I'm a huge fan of Melanie. And the minute I saw he was going to be Peter Porker, I'm like, this is amazing. I've just died and <laughs> to heaven. Like, I already I already love this guy, and now I love him more. Like, it was pretty great. Um, one thing I thought was an interesting, or just I didn't expect, um, was that we didn't have a an, an, uh, traditional Doctor Octopus here. We had kind of a remix, a yeah. remix version of that, which definitely surprised me. And the reveal was a lot more exciting because I did not see that coming.
1: Yeah, me neither. She Now, I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I know a lot about stuff, but I don't definitely don't know everything. Like, I, I have no uh, connection to Penny Parker, and okay. maybe I should. But I was wondering if the Olivia Octopus, if that was something that I should have known about. Is there is she in some sort of Spider-Man universe somewhere that I haven't remembered or, or paid attention to?
0: I don't think so, but don't quote me on that. Okay,
1: okay well, if you don't know, then I'm pretty sure I wasn't. I wasn't crazy, because you're kind of the, the go-to guy
0: when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not something I recall from anywhere, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I liked it, though. I thought it was really good. Yeah, it was just it was a different take on it that I didn't see coming. Yeah, a good surprise is always
1: Now, where's Penny Parker from?
0: She's from one of the Edge of Spider-Verse um, minis. Okay. Or one-shots, I should say.
1: Okay, so it is like a more obscure... Uh, Call to to include them in. Because I don't, I do not remember her in the Spider Verse uh, storyline.
0: Yeah, that that you're completely forgiven on.
1: Okay. <laughs> that
0: that's okay. You're allowed. I, I like Spider Verse though. You did it. I I actually enjoyed it. Um, well, um, as we're talking about alternate Spider Man, what did you think of uh, Miguel O'Hara at the end?
1: That was great. That was so fun to see. I'm happy that he was included as well. The more Spider Man, the better. I'm one of those people. Now, I love all the Spider-Man.
0: I didn't know this, and maybe I don't know for sure if it's true because obviously the, the internet can lie to you. But it would ap- it would appear that um, uh, Paul Souls, the original Spider-Man from '67, actually did record new dialogue here. Oh, really? According to Wikipedia, which could lie to me. <laughs> that's awesome. But if it's true, like that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, and that was just nice to see that they actually went to Earth sixty seven. And I mean, it was just cool. To, <laughs> just it was just awesome to see Spider Man 2099. Like that was like, you know, we, sure. we we've made it, nerds. Like <laughs> this finally right. happened. Like we're already seeing all this crazy stuff, but somehow Spider Man twenty almost made me more excited because you know, like I guess they could. I, I guess they couldn't put him in here for some reason, or I, who knows? But because he'd be too different and too crazy. But like, I, I want to see more from him.
1: I guess I guess that now that we, we bring him up, that was probably somebody who I'm actually surprised they didn't include in it. But like you said, he's not Peter Parker, right? He would be Miguel O'Hara. So where would he fit into the you know the, the connective tissue? But uh, yeah, that would have been interesting to have him maybe instead of Spider-Man Noir.
0: Oh but no, no, was- don't don't take away my my Rubik's cube jokes, man. <laughs>
1: Those were great. That's
0: why I said it worked because he was stuck in black and white. I said it actually worked for it. So it was good. <laughs> now, one thing I do want to make sure we talk about is, and it's really uh, an important character in the film in a lot of ways, uh, is the soundtrack. Yes,
1: I'm glad you brought that up. That was that's a great point. The soundtrack I thought was.
0: Really good for this movie I was I mean, surprised at how good it was I, it was It was really on point, and it felt like it, a lot of it was integrated really well into the scenes in a in a very natural way and it not like i mean okay i actually don 't mind this movie and i don 't mind the music from it, but uh, the two thousand and three Daredevil film felt like a series of music videos, not necessarily right. good ones. Um, <laughs> But like whenever they would kind of cut, you know, do a jump cut to music, it felt very awkward at times. Whereas here, it felt very natural. I actually went out and bought the soundtrack afterwards. I've just been listening to it the last couple of days. Like it's really, really good. And like when you have the whole sequence of Miles finally suiting up and actually making the costume his own, like that whole sequence is awesome. And you, you really feel pumped up and excited. And when I listen to it, I'm just oh, I can think of is seeing it in the movie and cannot wait till eventually owning the film because it's just so cool. And again, it, it works. Because of the music. The music just elevates everything you see on the screen, which is in the best thing it could do.
1: Yeah, I, I, I will admit when they played the notorious B.I.G. in <laughs> in the opening part of the movie, I was surprised that they
0: included it. I didn't think that it would be, but I, I really felt it was organic, like it really, really
1: worked. And as the movie went on, all of the placement of the music was at the right time, had the right emotion. And it integrated so well with the movies, with the with the movie. It's like you brought up, you know, Daredevil uh, from 2003, and another movie that forced it too was like the Suicide Squad. They were really trying mm-hmm. to cash in on a killer uh, soundtrack in the way that Guardians of the Galaxy did, but it felt so out of place and forced. Whereas this one didn't feel like that at all. True. And I was thinking by the by the time the credits came on, I'm like, some of these songs might be you know classic songs like the the hypnotized from notorious big but the the original music i'm like this actually sounds like good worthwhile music and i and so you're saying that the, the soundtrack itself is worth buying
0: oh yeah like mo- uh, a lot of the tracks were played in the film um and the, again they're just a really good vibe and like i don't usually buy kind of rap hip-hop albums i'll admit I, was, I know this is a shocking surprise since I'm a, you know, 30-something white guy. Um, but uh, but no, like, it was, it's it got a great vibe to it. Some of the tracks, like, I was just doing doing dishes the other day, listening to the music, and I really enjoyed it. And, like, my son came into the room, and he's, like, dancing to some of them, like, trying to dance to some of it. Like, it's it's got a really good vibe to it, and it works in the context of a movie. Like, it's not just good music, but it says something about the characters and the fact that you have, like, and I was surprised because I didn't expect it, but I didn't expect to see my where I was singing along to sunflower like that's not like they integrated it into like what the character was doing to kind of be chill and be on his own and and doing his own thing and that was really cool like i and i wasn't even sure how i felt about that song before but then i saw it in the movie i'm like i love this song this is great yeah that's awesome so yeah i'm definitely
1: gonna check out the soundtrack now because i am a, a a white guy in his mid-30s who actually loves rap music so i'm gonna give it a shot
0: (laughs) well i I I hope you like it now because otherwise i'm in trouble
1: (laughs) no 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 i liked it from from what i heard in the movie it sounded fresh it's and i was like is this a kid movie because some of this some of these songs i'm like would a kid want this soundtrack but
0: it was good man good music's good music so that's awesome to hear um my wife was making fun because uh one of the tracks and i don't know if she. I was playing it like a couple of days later, so maybe she didn't make the immediate connection. It was from the movie. Um, but uh, it was uh, the track that plays when Miles is actually getting suited up and, and making his costume, which I'll come back to in a second, was called uh, What's Up, Danger? And so she just kept making fun of me being like, what's up, danger? Like, <laughs> that's what they say in the song. Like, it's pretty cool. But um, to get back to Miles' costume... I love how he actually makes it himself here, and makes it his own. Cause that's something that is lacking originally because, you know, shield gave him his costume originally. Um, yeah, did, which, which made sense in the, in the book. Well, for sure. But I mean, he didn't make his own, which you got to wonder 616, how did he make that costume? But whatever. Whereas as here, like this is, you know, he actually adapts and makes the costume on his own. And that's really cool. And again, sets him apart from his comic book counterpoint. This guy feels like he earned it more.
1: Yeah. And, and, as well, the fact that it ties into the um, the opening sequences where he's bombing, you know, uh, part of the, the underground in the, in the train station with his uncle, um, they tie that back in the whole graffiti aspect of the character and how he makes his own suit. I love that they did that, and he has a symbol spray painted. I thought
0: that was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I guess we have to mention as well is uh, this is, uh, I guess, the first. Or uh, she's technically second, but the first voice uh, cameo of Stanley after his passing.
1: Yeah, that was that that hit me when that happened. I was I knew you know you got to expect that he's going to show up in in the next couple films, but when it hit me, because I guess the wound is still a little fresh,
0: you're just like oh. Well, it's also because it felt substantial. Like this wasn't yes. a throwaway line. It wasn't done for comedy. Like this was an earnest, like an actual conversation, and it felt like. He was, it was almost felt like, like it was the perfect words for him for him to be saying uh, and to be listening to them after he's passed away, like yeah. like that message that he gets across about like it always fits. Like, that, I mean, obviously, then there's a gag right after that. But um, that it felt very earnest, and it felt true. And it felt like something that Stan would have written in his comics in talking to you, the reader, you know? Like, it felt very much in his voice, and it didn't feel like he was playing a character. It just felt like it was Stan talking to you. And that kind of made it, again, a little bit more wistful, because obviously he's gone now. Um, but it made me it happy that... This was, you know, the first time we've heard him speak since he passed away, if that makes sense. You know, like these were the words he got to say. It wasn't a joke, it wasn't a throwaway, it wasn't a gag, it wasn't you know, it wasn't in any way played for laughs. It wasn't except for the the one gag, but which was less about him and more just about the scene. But it just felt very emotional and and true and emotionally honest, and that was really impressive.
1: Yeah. No, you couldn't get a more perfect spot on cameo for from Stan dealing with the specific character that it was. Yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: Any final thoughts to kind of bring us home?
1: Um, final thought, I have questions. I, I want
0: to, do you think there's going to, do you think there's going to be sequels? I mean, yes. Um, the question is, well, here's the thing. I, I want to see a sequel. I, want to see more about Miles. I don't necessarily want to see him interacting with other Spider characters per se. I kind of want to see him enjoy his own movie. That being said, I feel like it's an obvious that they're going to do an, an adventure with him and Gwen. Um, because obviously there's chemistry there. And that was kind of done in the comics too. So um, I feel like that we might go there. Um, I feel like they've opened up this universe that they could kind of go anywhere. And I hope that they're daring and willing to take chances and do kind of other Spider-Verse projects. Yes, yeah. I
1: was just gonna say that. I, I want to see a a, a mile a, a mile sequel, but I'm thinking to myself as well, like I would totally totally be in for a Peter Parker sequel. This particular Peter Parker continuing his story in this format. As silly as that sounds, because we've got you know MCU Spider Man now, but I just they, they could go anywhere with it. Like mm-hmm. just the fact that one of the things I really loved in this movie was when he got bitten by the spider. You had the captions all over the screen yeah. as he's talking, and they acknowledge that. And I'm like, I don't know why, but I love
0: this. Well, it's because you're because you're watching a comic book.
1: Yeah, and and you know when you go to the movies, you're thinking, I don't want to see that, maybe, but I do. I totally do. I love seeing that in in those shots. So I'm like, I could I could deal with a whole series of these movies. With these characters on their own, I'd be totally in for them.
0: I wonder if that sequence and him kind of talking to himself and talking to and kind of noticing that the capture boxes are kind of like there and happening, I wonder if that would have worked as well a couple of years ago before Deadpool came around. Mm,
1: maybe an animation maybe yeah but I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, oh they're doing a Deadpool thing where they're acknowledging or breaking that fourth wall. And, and you're right, I think the popularity of Deadpool uh, lends these newer things to that. It's kind of like when you, when you watch some of the stuff, like, when you see Thanos on a screen now, and you think to yourself, man, we got Thanos on a screen, whereas, you know, not even a decade ago, in the Green Lantern movie, you couldn't have Parallax, or you couldn't have Galactus shown, it had to be a cloud, because it just seemed too silly. Whereas now, we can do these things, and everybody's good with it, so... I guess you need that initial thing to introduce it to, to make it, you know, the, the, the audience aware of, of its
0: existence and then they can do it with a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Which happens a lot. Yeah, for sure. Any other questions I mean, you had?
1: Any other questions? Um, I think that was my biggest one of how you, where you wanted to see this go. Um,
0: I'm definitely excited to see it again at some point. Uh, yes. Like, I don't yes. know if I'll get a chance to see it in theaters. It's, it's releasing in kind of an odd time because it's almost Christmas time. And, you know, this week you have Aquaman and Bumblebee coming out. Like, there's a lot of crowded real estate for kind of similar type products. Um, so I feel like, you know, being able to get back out to the theater to see it again may not happen. But I am definitely excited to own it. And I will definitely be buying it kind of day one type of thing because I'll want to yep. watch it again. And, and a big part of it, too, is just to see all the Easter eggs I missed the first time.
1: That's right. What, what, what were some of the ones that you caught that you liked the
0: most? Um, well, like the very simple stuff, like the fact that, you know, in the in the phone, like you see Dick, yeah. you see Dicko, you see Bendis, you see Pacelli, like that kind of nice little service, I think is nice. Um, and other stuff. And I, I want to kind of slow down more on the comics when they're kind of leafing through them and you're seeing covers and yeah, that type of great. stuff. That's true. Like they go so that. quickly that through great. that. Yeah, no, it's cool. And, like, I, I like that there is an in-universe Spider-Man comic. I mean, yeah. for, for comic book fans, that makes sense because, I mean, the Fantastic Four had that in the, in the 616. So it just stands to reason that would exist. In fact, I don't know if you have, if you remember, it was probably before you're reading a lot of Marvel comics, but uh, there was a fifth-week event in, like, 2000 or 2001 called Marvels and uh or or something like that, anyways, it was basically the comics that came out were supposed to be the comics that were published in the Marvel Universe about the those characters. So the X men were wildly different based on what the Marvel Universe denizens would actually have thought of what the X men were um and spider-man the same type of thing so like spider-man was a little bit more mutated and like it was really interesting to kind of have a sense of what these heroes would look like from the marvel universe's perspective uh because there is a marvel comics in the 616 cranking out comics some of them are officially licensed like the ff and some are just speculative
1: yeah that that, that's actually pretty cool that was one of the things that i remember seeing that in logan where she had the X Men yes. comic, and that just thrilled me. I'm like, is that a real? Is that a real issue? Is that based off of a real story? Where can you find? Who drew it? Like, I, I <laughs> love that sort of thing
0: for sure. Yeah, what would you rate the movie? Ah, uh, I think probably like on the, I think probably that, like an eight or nine out of ten. Like, I think I've come up on it since I first saw it. When I first saw it, I was like is it as good as everyone's gushing? And then I really had to think about it. And I think the answer is yes. Um, It's stuck with me over the last few days. I didn't forget about it. It just grew in my mind. Um, I needed to listen to the music again, so I had to buy the soundtrack, and it takes me back to the movie, and I'm kind of reliving it in my head. Um, You know, like, I think it's almost like an earworm i couldn't get rid of and don't want to get rid of so when i when i first experienced it i wasn't quite sure but the more i think about it the more i listen to that music the more i you know see the trailers on tv or the commercials the more i'm like yeah i know that's a damn good movie
1: yeah especially when you know what it is now yes. i think before like there was so much speculation in my head like what's this movie going to really be like who's it going to will i enjoy it is it a good movie for you know the younger audience so now that i know exactly what it is i can watch it with that sort of that knowledge now know what to
0: expect and know what i what you know it's going to be enjoyable about it It yeah. just one thing on i did right, i can honestly say i did not expect based on how the trailers had been positioned is that i thought this would be a universe where peter parker had already died um so i did not know that we would be watching him die and this matters more, well, because, like, especially, like, you know, my wife brought this up with our son, but, like, he just watched Spider-Man get murdered. That's weird. Um, and, to, and he's five, so he's a little young and probably younger than he should have been to come to the movie. But that's something that she was like, you know, he's hurt. And my he turns to my mom, uh, to his uh, to his mom and says, is Spider-Man going to be okay? And she says, yeah, he's going to be okay. Because she doesn't know he's about to die. She doesn't know they're actually going to do that. And then they do it, and then they kind of, like, get rid of the body. And it's kind of awkward, but, like, he never said anything more about it. But, like, you know, they just watched, you know, Spider-Man get murdered on screen. Like, that's pretty intense stuff. Whereas when I saw the trailers, I knew that he'd already died because you show... You show it the the gravestone. You know that he's already passed away in this in this reality. In fact, in the um the, the kind of the slapstick scene in the sem- that starts in the cemetery, that was uh, a post credit st- stinger on Venom. So I'd already seen that, but I assumed that he had just already passed away and he was going to his gravesite, not knowing why he was at the gravesite and that he had actually been witness to the death. So that threw me and definitely made me feel that this was a little less family friendly than I expected it to be. Yeah, that that aspect of it was it's true when now that you put it that way and he didn't just miles. die in an explosion like he died that's because right. he was pummeled enough. Right. like that that's a little brutal
1: yeah exactly like he and and it makes sense looking back at at how it would affect
0: miles having witnessed it oh it's great for himself. the ju- great for the journey just not what i expected at all and yeah it, it, it took me out of it like it was just jarring i guess and even that it um shooting jefferson uh, sorry um not Jefferson, uh, whatever the name. Miles uh, uh, Aaron. uncle Aaron. Yeah, the, Aaron, him being oh shot God. like he was like that was also like whoa. Like this is going down. Yeah, it, I think that
1: what might be my one criticism, strong criticism towards it was that it does a, a good job at balancing, you know, being on the tightrope of balancing itself between the humorous hijinks and then the serious moments. But sometimes it was too jarring. Where you've got Spider-Ham in a scene doing, you know, hijinks, but then at the same time there's like a very serious death that occurs in a in a very real way mm-hmm. that, you know, it's it's very extreme where it's like, is this serious or is this, you know, fun and, and a, a light ride? Like, where are we going? And it, it does a lot of everything, but sometimes the transition
0: from one to another might be a little too jarring. Mm-hmm. I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. And again, it's a very animated, pulsating style, so it's never, even, yeah. the, even the quiet moments still have a, you know, they're still moving, there's still a rhythm. Like it's You don't have a stereotypically quiet scene where everything's kind of at rest. Uh, the artwork's never at rest.
1: Yeah, and I was trying to describe it to my wife when she asked me what it was like. And she said, was it like the scene from The Incredibles where she's... Where, where they actually gave the warning of those who, you know, suffer from hmm. epilepsy. There's all the light. What was the, the, the character's name
0: that she was fighting? I can't remember. Where, right? I know what yeah, you're talking where about. Yeah, all the that. lights were going off, right? And it's just like overload, sensory overload. This movie kind of felt like that, but not. It's really hard to describe, but that's really in the animation style. Yeah.
1: Like, like you said, it's constantly moving. Like your your, your senses are just going off all the time.
0: Which is both good and bad.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'd like to see how it plays out on you know your home screen, hmm. watching it on a Blu-ray disc or four K. However, you want to watch because in the theater, everything is so much more like absolutely, obviously, in your face.
0: Now, what would you give this out of ten? I'd probably give it an eight
1: point eight to eight point five. Okay, it's it's up there amongst my my favorite Spider-Man movie experiences. Is it,
0: is it your favorite Spider-Man movie experience?
1: Oh man. There's so many things about it that I liked and being – and the fact that it could do so many things from the comic books, like just Spider-Gwen and having Miles and Peter and then a cameo from 2099 and all of the – like it just – there's so many aspects of it that I love. So it's it's up there in the top two or three. I, I'm not exactly sure where though. How about for you?
0: I think it's top top one yeah here's the thing like everyone always says like oh it's the best one since spider-man 2 i think a lot of people have really rose colored glasses for spider-man 2 um i like spider-man 2 and i loved it when it came out but i feel like you know nostalgically i'm thinking like because it was in the early kind of days of superhero movies and when you watch it now there's a bunch of cringeworthy stuff and it's kind of stiff at times but at the time we just kind of rolled with it because this was the best we'd ever had um so i think we make a lot of Um, apologies for it or I think a lot of people in their mind kind of let things go that they probably wouldn't let go if this was a brand new movie Um, so I feel like it it just does a lot more better than the other kind of more successful films Um, yeah I I think it's probably a more enjoyable full complete package I don't think there's anything I have to kind of sit through and go ugh like they're like you know Sp- Spider Man Two. There's some stuff in there that I'm just like cringing over. Um, even Homecoming has you know a few moments where I'm like, oh, do they really have to do that joke or like when um, uh, Ned Lee is is sitting in the is he's the man on the chair and then the the, yeah. the, the person comes in is like what you what are you doing and he's like looking at porn like I'm like oh that's such a tired hackney joke like that what did that give? That didn't mean anything. Like it just, those types of things bugged me. Whereas I don't know if I really, anything really bugged me about this movie in in that way that I kind of went, why is this happening? Um, or I have to sit through this moment again. Like I feel like I could watch this movie and be like, well, that was a great ride. Let's do it again. Like, I don't know if there's anything that I kind of felt like I have to get through this scene to get to more of the good stuff.
1: Yes. Yeah. That in, in that respect, as I'm, as I'm thinking back to it, it, pun intended, no pun intended, all of my spider senses <laughs> were were pleased at like, oh, there's stuff from the video game or, or there's, you know, all of his suits from, from, you know, there's a suit from big time and there's that thing and there's all these things that you can do that make me happy as a Spider-Man fan where you wouldn't be able to get away with in the live action movies and and you're right about spider-man 2 people hold it in very high regard and i think the reason is because the things that they got right those peter parker moments or those spider-man moments were the best that we had gotten in a full movie at that point in time and then you know for a while after that but there are those things where it's like ugh, i'm so sick of this this is not right they didn't Mm -hmm. get that right you know but in this movie it taps into all of those little things, for sure. Which is good. Yeah. All right. Well, I was happy with it.
0: I, I think. I think we've uh, emptied our web shooters here. I think so too. I guess this. Actually, I will mention there's one thing that you know. Like he, I guess, has web, web shooters now. But what about when they break? <laughs> Who's that, M- Miles? Yeah.
1: But that's with every Spider-Man,
0: no. Yeah, but every Spider-Man usually has the technical know-how to make them. Uh, you know, I I was thinking of that when I'm reading uh, Ultimate Spider-Man because I haven't
1: gotten I, – I've read the first trade and I'm into issue – into the second volume. So I'm wondering like where, where do the web the web shooters come in and, and does he even know what to do with them or how do you, like it's a good point.
0: We'll see. Yeah, He's a smart kid. He's going to that private school. He'll figure it out. True. I mean and plus Aunt May probably has a lot of them. So Yeah, right? Maybe she, maybe she figured out. Maybe that's what she does all day. She's just making web fluid.
1: Maybe she's just like Alfred. Like she's just there
0: prepping for for all the suits. Part of me was hoping there was one gag or one throwaway line about her making wheat cakes, and we didn't get that. That's true. That seems like a missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I mean, I feel like the only one who would have wanted to eat the wheat cakes would have been Marvel. Uh, sorry, uh, Spider-Man Noir. Uh, <laughs> because that just feels like a something that he would think was awesome and, like, you know, actually a luxury because he's, you know, obviously in the 30s. But uh, that's too bad. I
1: think that joke would have worked with everyone, though. Like, Spider-Ham would have been happy to eat something. Yeah, that's true. Peter Peter always says, you wait till you have her wheat cakes or wheat cakes. But he tells that to everybody, right? So Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a great ride, and I appreciate you setting it up and, and
0: making it happen. That was a lot of fun. Absolutely, well, yeah, it was it was fun to have you. I, it was, I guess I should say because I didn't mention it, but it was me, my son, and my wife, and you. So you got to be part of the, <laughs> the you got to be part of the Chapman family for a day. Yeah, that was it was my pleasure. Well, thank you for being part of this uh, conversation, and uh, yeah, no, this is, this has been great, and I'm glad you were able to uh, enjoy the movie with us. Thank you so much.